What's going on, Ryan? Good uh, to be we've here. Got another interesting, interesting week. We we finally got to get some of the games that we talked about last week to the table. Um, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I was disappointed with the news for two weeks. I, I think there's much better news to go through this week. And oh, I can't wait for that. And 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 we have a special guest joining us this week. Oh, a special guest. That's always great. Uh, yes. I remember the last one you did, a, the last special guest. Is it another author? It is another author. Uh, it is author Denton Sal, who I don't even know how to describe. Denton does historical fantasy and science fiction and mythology all rolled into one interesting ball. I think he is going to be the best person to describe the things that he does. But if you haven't read him, have you read any of his works before? No. Uh, after you told me that he was going to be on the show this week, I did a little bit of like research and he's a very prolific author and some of his stuff looks really interesting, but I haven't had the opportunity to read any of it as of yet. I can honestly say that most of the major pieces that I know of, of his work. And like you said, he's very prolific. So there's probably 10 times the amount that I don't know of, as different as all of his total collection is, there's not a single thing that I would say, oh, I'm not going to read that. And and you'll see when we talk to him. I'll, I'll have him sort of go down, I guess, his his philosophy of genres. And, um, yeah, I, I, you're going to like what you hear, Bert. I can't wait. So, on the flip side of the news, we'll call up Denton. He lives down in uh, in Texas. Get him on the Nerd Cognito hotline. Sounds good. And if you want to get on that Nerd Cognito hotline, I mean, I can't guarantee you'll get on live with us, but you can definitely leave us a voicemail. Hopefully, a different voicemail that's not telling me to die in a fiery car crash. You can call us at 323-694-4242. Send us a text. Send us a voicemail. You might hear it on the air. We might reference it. We might pretend like it didn't happen if you're a complete and total dickbag. But we are here. 323-694-4242. The Nerd Cognito Hotline. Uh, this past week, we got one of the games that we promised we were going to play for once to the table. And we <laughs> are going to talk about Barrage. Finally well, that's got a chance. We said we were going to play it, and we actually played it. <laughs> we did. We did. We we totally played it. I lost hardcore. I I, I don't even want to. I kind of am dreading going back to that night. I don't know if you noticed, but my brain was somewhere else the entire right. day. Right. And when you say somewhere else, you mean transformed into oatmeal. Oh, it was sloshing around. I could not put together a coherent thought, let alone a coherent strategy in a very, very deep game. Oh, and it was deep too. I mean, I took an early lead, but I couldn't hold on to it. Well, no, no sense in holding back now. We might as well just, just talk about it. For those of you that don't know, Barrage is a worker placement Euro, a 
heavy, heavy worker placement euro. I should I should preface <laughs> that that is set in a set in a dystopic 1930s sort of place. And I say place because it's nondescript, but you are a nation company. Yay, socialism. And you are trying to generate power to get victory points. And how do you do that? Well, as referenced by the title, through water power, hydroelectricity. It's a interesting take on a worker placement game where water flows top to bottom down the mountainside, which is your board, and you have to build dams and channel that water into your power plants to achieve personal and community goals. And, of course, may the best man win, and may the worst man fuck the best man by putting a dam right in front of his powerhouse. (laughs) (laughs) What did you think, Bert? Because you actually had the presence of mind to play the game where I just sort of moved pieces around all night. Well, I, I tried to, based on what I knew of the game after reading the rules, which, again, those rules are terribly put together. Oh, yes. I talked about it last week. The, the rule book clear, clearly, clearly, clearly was a non-English written rule book, but the translation was horrible and... I'm sure in its native language it was much easier to follow, but it made for a very difficult learning process on a very difficult game. So it just added to a layer of confusion if you didn't take your time and sort of work things out. Right, especially when it came to things like uh, character powers and abilities. Like, we found a character rule in... It was in a, one of the appendixes. Like, it wasn't even mentioned under gameplay that is or correct. setup. Like, that it is came correct. up under one of the appendixes that we were um, utilizing a rule incorrectly based on the abilities our characters should have. And the table shot me daggers when we found out that we were incorrectly applying that rule because I was responsible... Brainless Wonder was responsible for teaching the game. And I completely missed that rule when I was going over it because it literally did not appear until in Appendix C or whatever it was. There's there's about six appendixes to the rule right. book. I, I think it was Appendix B, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it wasn't in setup. It wasn't in gameplay. It wasn't in, like, sample turn order. Like, it was nowhere until you got to Appendix B. And who checks an appendix, like, during gameplay unless a question comes up? Especially since... I would say 80% of the appendices were just iconography appendixes. Appendices. Appendixes? Appendixes would be the organ, right? Appendices would be in the rule book. I believe you're correct. It's been a long time since Honors English, but I believe it would be appendices. But, But the point being, I didn't really think to go through them because in my brain, oh, these are just legends and iconography translations. So I owned it. I said, this is my fault. Do you guys want to start over? Which, again, inspired looks of death from across the table. When you're two and a half hours into a game, nobody wants to start over, Ryan. Uh, Well, let's take us through it. Give me your synopsis of how Barrage plays, Bert. It's... 
there's a lot of ways to make things difficult for the other players, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But like you said, it is very heavy. Like there's a lot of little rules and nuances and tons of things that tons of actions you can take. It makes like, you really have to get into detail for your strategy. Like when it started, I was like, okay, early, I want to try to jump up and get some points going. So I'll do this and I'll do this and I'll do this. Well, by the time we got to the mid game, I had already started to lose ground because there were, about a hundred other things I could have done that would have started slower, but given me better options at the end game. But on the other side of that coin, I had a very slow start, partly because of oatmeal brain, but also I was going into it for the second time, which ironically, we also messed up the first time. Um, Michael and I tried to play it two player and boy, did we fuck up. All sorts of shit. But this was my second exposure to the game. So I went into it with a little foreknowledge. And I went in trying to go slow. I don't think I produced power until maybe the last round or the next to the last round. Right. I think it was the next to last round that you started to get some decent momentum when it came to power production. But it is a very detailed game and a very... I don't want to use the term fiddly because there are a lot of moving pieces, but at no point did I find it tedious to move the pieces around. Do you know what I mean? I do. There are games like that that are what I would call fiddly, but this wasn't one of those. However, it was so involved. Like you had to plan your strategy so well that it almost, uh, like the challenge rating on it, I would have put like, you know, in the upper tier, like most worker placement games, you can kind of come up with a strategy and BS your way through and barrage is not like that at all. No, you, it, everything that you do counts. I think that's the interesting thing in barrage. And I don't know if you guys felt it, but I know immediately after performing an action a couple times during the game, I knew that that action counted and I realized, oh, maybe I should have done this. And I felt that remorse almost instantly. It, it was great. So maybe I built a dam and I needed to move some water instead. And I felt that a lot too, especially when it came to things like, um, you know, should I have bought a contract before making this play? But if I don't make this play now, another player is going to do it and they'll get the power that I need. You really had to be strategic. And I, I keep going back to using that term, but you really had to kind of pick and choose because if I don't produce energy now, then, you know, on Doug's turn, he's going to produce that energy and I'll lose my opportunity. But if I do produce it now, I don't have a contract to fulfill with the energy, so I won't be getting as much as I could out of it. Well, before we go further, and I... I concur with everything you just said. I, I sort of want to go through the gameplay a little bit. Uh, every round, there's water that is cascading down a mountainside. And there are areas that would serve as basins that you can build dams to allow water to collect. Now, that's step one. You allow water to collect in these areas. Step two is you build a conduit or a turbine that moves the water 
from your dam down the conduit and into step three, the powerhouse that converts that energy or converts the water into energy. Now, there's a couple of different, <laughs> again, very deep. There's more than one scoring track. There's an energy scoring track that scores every round in addition to the general victory point track that scores the game. Every time you produce energy, you move on the energy track, and that resets every round. So the good part about that is if you have a spectacularly terrible round, it's not the end of the world. I think there is a great bit of recoverability. Again, English honors student, not English honors student not? What the fuck, Ryan? <laughs> but I was not in a good headspace. I think I cleaned up my play in the mid-game and actually ended up scoring enough to not look like a complete fool by the end of the game. Right, but if you had, I, I think that if you had been able to get your act together earlier, you could have been a contender to win. I, I do too, but I, I just wasn't mentally there so anyway this water cascades down the mountain and you build these different pieces now construction i think is really cool in barrage the construction wheel yes you've got your concrete uh pourers you've got your excavators and you've got the uh the spinning the spinning wheel of construction i like the spinning wheel of construction tell folks how that works I thought it was a really great mechanic as well. So let's say that you're going to build a dam. Depending on where you build the dam, it'll tell you how many excavators you need to build that dam. You put the piece for the dam and the excavators onto, the, onto a wheel on the player board, and then you turn that wheel one segment. You immediately get the dam, but you don't get those excavators and the tile back that would let you create another dam until that wheel spins all the way around. And there are different ways to advance the wheel. So there's, what is it, five or six segments on the wheel? There's six segments on the wheel. And the wheel advances every time you build. But there are also contracts that you could fulfill that will advance the wheel. And there's actually worker spaces, which, again, it's a Sophie's choice because advancing the wheel is a big deal, especially in the early game. But you're... you're you're paying for that by using your workers to, to advance that action. Right. You're getting less actions in other places for a chance to build more because you're advancing your construction wheel more quickly. I, I was, I was a big fan of the wheel and I think wheel management is probably the second most challenging part of the game aside from actually managing the water that's on the board and I only say that the wheel is secondary because you don't always control the board because other player actions can affect the board. Right. I think if the board were autonomous or if it were a little more solitaire-ish, the wheel would actually be the primary function. But because the other players have that influence, I do, I do give the water movement a little bit of credence. But I, I, I love the wheel. I thought the wheel was ingenious, and I, I thought so too. I, I mean, have nothing I thought else it was to a, say about the wheel. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think it was a great mechanic. I think that it's you know sort of interesting, and in that you can get more excavators, you can get more concrete, you can get 
different tiles that you can use on your construction wheel to improve your um the your construction uh the construction elements so wheel management i agree with you is probably one of the sort of it's a big challenge in the game but it's also sort of your big opportunity because it's something that you solely have control of nobody can kind of take away your construction i also think of course it does have a solo mode which i will never play but i also think for the solo board gamers out there that it would play very very differently than with human opponents you know a lot of times the solo variants try to replicate what a human opponent would do with the barrage solo mode i think the wheel management then becomes paramount because you can almost predict and we didn't go into it but the way the the autonomous mode works spurt is you're you have other people that are doing stuff but they're generally doing one of three actions. So with that level of predictability, you're really, really concentrating on your self-management. Okay. And I could, so that does make it a totally different experience from what we ran into because the likelihood of a player taking an action just to prevent you from taking one would be almost non-existent. If they're only taking one of three actions, it's much less likely that, those particular actions are going to affect your your game strategy. Right, it's going to fall down to luck if it does happen to screw you. Right. What other aspects are, are worth noting? I, I just like the theme, and I'm going to be honest, most heavy Euros have shit themes. This, this was a very appealing theme to me. Components were solid. Uh, all of the meeples were unique. In fact, all of the companies that are vying to create this power, they generally have the same pieces, but those pieces were tailored to the company, which I thought was a nice little touch. Everybody's dams look different. Right, they, they were different. They were different shapes, they were different colors, they were different. Um, I noticed it particularly on the power plants. Everybody's power plant was slightly different. Right, right. In little things like that, I appreciate, because that does add to the cost of the game. Not a cheap game, by any means. Aesthetically, like artistically, the game was very uh, very well put together. It had a, um, like, the box, the player boards, the, uh, the, even the, um, even the main board, they had interesting, like, uh, patterning and things like that. It, it sort of felt like, very art deco, very right. dark art deco. Right, right. Which fits so it fit because into that. it was dystopian 30s, right? Right, it fit into that dystopian like 20s, 30s theme. So if you think of a Bioshock, Rapture-esque sort of presentation, this fits the bill. The game retails for 90 bucks. So you are paying for those components. But right, and, and looking at the patterning and everything, it almost made me think of like uh, the great Gatsby, but dark. You know what I mean? Evil Gatsby. Right. With the Art Deco styling and things like that, you normally think of that when you think of things like the great Gatsby, especially with how they 
portrayed the film and things like that. All of the movie posters and stuff had that whole like art deco design. But Roger's design reminded me of that, but with a much darker sort of twist to it. You want to hear high school bad boy confession? Go ahead. Never read The Great Gatsby. Oh, my. <laughs> and, of course, it's like required reading in every high school, right? Right, right. Yeah, I, it was Honors English 11. Never read and, a page of it. And as somebody who loves that time period, Ryan, shame on you. I know. I, I really do love the time period, but never read it and never looked back. Faked my way through it. Probably failed my way through the test. No no F. Scott Fitzgerald for me. <laughs> Sneaky boy. I was too busy trying to fuck Dana. <laughs> oh, Dana. It's the one that I never got to. Dana was a soccer girl, Bert. Oh, okay. Yeah, she was... Uh, I was so close. So close, but never was able to pull the trigger. Well, yeah, this is me, awkward. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the, so you were pursuing Dana instead of pursuing your grades. I was, was pursuing a a... Dana. I had Tracy doing my homework for me. <laughs> 11th grade was a great year, <laughs> says the old man now. Yeah, uh, I mean, in high school, I was a I was a bit of a nerd. So, you know, I, I, I pursued my schoolwork. And uh, I didn't, I, I didn't uh, chase as many girls. A hundred percent incognito, more so than even now, back in high school, uh, t t to a fault. And I realize huge, huge character defects that were present in me in high school. My best friend, I couldn't say hello to in school because our high school was so clicky, and I was in the upper cliques, and he was in bottom ones so we would spend hours and hours and hours doing nerdy shit after school couldn't make eye contact or say hi to him in the halls at school one of my biggest oh, wow. regrets of life so you could chase girls but you couldn't talk to your friend that's right because well when you're immersed in that culture you don't realize how horribly shitty it is but that's a conversation for another time. Dana, if you're listening, what am I saying? I'm married. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to go there. After my first, I'll go, I'll go there. After my first divorce, there was a secondary soccer girl that that I was also, eh, you know, come see, come see, interested in. I mean, in high school, you'll bang anything that'll let you. <laughs> well, if you're lucky. Well, we connected. It was the second night after my first wife and I separated. And goal! <laughs> okay, Pele. But it, wasn't, but it wasn't Dana. Things that you liked the best about Barrage. I, uh, I liked the, um, the heavy planning element, the way that you really had to... Uh, take advantage of opportunities when they arose because other players could kind of take them away from you. So the cutthroat element of it, I really enjoyed. Would you consider it cutthroat though? I guess it kind of was. It wasn't, but again, there weren't like direct screw your neighbor things. Like there wasn't a card, boom, you lose your resources 
or you know what I'm talking about? It was right, but I'm going to be an annoyance to you. Right. I mean, there was no, it, it wasn't direct screw your neighbor, but there were like a lot of um, elements as far as the, uh, as far as the gameplay where, like I said, if, if water falls into a basin and both of you have conduits in that basin, either one of you can produce power. So if you don't take advantage of that production immediately, then the player can kind of take away your ability to make energy at that point. Very true, because the limited resource in the game is the water. Right. So the water comes down and two water droplets fall into my pool. Now I've got a turbine there and Doug's got a turbine there. It's my turn. I can only take one action this turn. If I don't produce power immediately, if I let it go around, chances are Doug's going to produce power, and then I won't have an opportunity to unless I can figure out a way to get more water in there. Fair enough. Fair enough. Biggest negative or complaint that you have? Um, the fact that the rules were unclear, like the, the rule book was definitely a detriment because the game would have played a lot differently if we had discovered that rule in Appendix B from the beginning. I agree. I agree. Throwing out the the one mistake that we did make. Still the rules. Okay, so throwing that out... Throwing that out... No, I mean, throwing that out, I think that the game was solid. I think that... Um, because it's so heavy, like, it's not a game that I would say, like, it's not a game that I would say is like a casual pick-up-and-play. Like, this is, a, that's a game, it's a game that you... No, this is kind not of have to you be introduced the to the family on Thanksgiving. Right. If you have a dedicated and solid gaming group, I, I can definitely see this game getting replay in our group. And that's something that we don't often say. Right, and I think so too. I think that this would be one that we would definitely play again. Uh, now that we understand the rules, now that we've kind of messed up in two different areas, we, uh, we're we going to be much better going on. But is it something that I would, you know, bring up to play every week? No. Would you buy, would you buy a copy? If I had another group to play with that would be, that would devote to it what we do, I would definitely pick up a copy for myself. Okay, I, I agree. I think that, that my strength for it is the theme. And you don't hear that a lot with Euros. I loved the theme. I love the art. I love the presentation. I like dams, I guess. Right, right. I mean, it was a damn game. We tried to score some damn points. Tried to get out that damn victory. The presentation really won me over with Barrage. The biggest negative I have is hands down the rule book because I had to go through it twice to teach it twice and really struggled with it. You guys remember, I read you some some word-for-word terrible, right. terrible syntax out of that game book. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I, and you even passed it off to us to take a look at it, and it was literally like... Um, you ever seen one of those uh, like um, YouTube videos where somebody runs a uh, song through Google Translate for a different language and then back to English and then sings it? No, but that 
that that is a very accurate description uh, of of what it is. I said when when we were playing it, I passed the rule book off. I said, "Look, it's like Google Translate, man." It was a poor translation effort, basically. It was. It was, and that I think hurts the game because with how complex the game is, if you don't have some real hardcore gamer nerds, they're not going to give it a second look. They may not even give it a play because the first time when Michael and I did it, we struggled with setup from the rule book. We literally struggled interpreting setup. So that can be very off-putting. And I'm sure it's why... Barrage is not as well-known as it probably should be. I compare it to Lords of Waterdeep or some other very, very popular worker placement games. This is way better. And and the thing about it is, like, if you can't... But the problem is, if you can't successfully set up the game, how can you play it? Or, like, when you and Mike went through it, you made a critical mistake. You literally called it and stopped playing at that point. Right. You know, when we made a mistake, it w- we were so far in, we just decided to muddle through with it. But if we had called it right there, that would have been two aborted games and one, like, really difficult setup attempt. Would you even give it another look with all of those difficulties in just trying to play it through? Well, I think that's what speaks to how good the game is, is that I would. I, I liked it that much that I would. We don't bring a game to the table two weeks in a row ever we we just don't we're we have a glut of games right i mean there are literally a dozen games that we could be playing at any one time whether it's an old favorite or a new uh a new game that somebody picked up in another life i used to have a new game a week so we definitely are not hurting for titles yet i wanted to bring this to the table two weeks in a row so I think that speaks to just the interest and the fun that can be had with it once you get through it. Let me ask you this. Would you buy the expansion? Does it add new like new nation new nation companies to the uh, game, or is it just a new map? There is an expansion that's already out that I do not have because we haven't played it, right? Right. I think if we play it through another full time without error and still have the level of love that we have, it would be on my list to to complete, to make it a complete game. The the other side of that coin is there's a whole hell of a lot already going on in Barrage. What's an expansion going to add to its complexity? Uh, there is that. I mean, the complex the complexity element of it is already high. Like you have to think about every move you make if you're going to try to win this thing. We're going to pull Barrage out again sometime oh. down the road? Overall, I mean, you know, for the mental challenge and things like that, I think that it's definitely got some replay value. Me I would too. do it again. Me too. I, I think so too. So we are saying if you can chew through the rules and you're willing to play and probably make a mistake, I'm not going to shortchange us we are a pretty smart experienced and established gaming group 
and we made two mistakes two weeks in a row on the same game. Two different mistakes. Um, if you're willing to chew through the rules, willing to probably sacrifice a play or two just to get the hang of it, and you're looking for a deep Euro, this is definitely one for you. It's it's out of this world, Bert. Right, but just remember, if four guys who have played hundreds of board games messed up twice in a row in different places of the game, you know, be prepared that you may have some trouble out of the gate. Give it a chance before you kind of get mad and chuck it. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think Barrage has the potential to be absolutely out of this world. Hey, you know what's out of this world, Bert? What's that, Ryan? Uh, a great comic book and hobby shop, but there's just not one around. I remember fondly what glory it was to walk into an amazing comic store. And that doesn't exist. I've been in comic stores in states, in different cities, and there are some excellent ones, but it's generally speaking really declined since we were kids absolutely i mean with the i think with the increase of electronic media and things like that you you just don't see the um the quality and the uh selection and things like that from your local comic shop anymore no but thank goodness that there is things from another world things from another world is the online solution to the comic store quandary Everything that you need, from graphic novels, manga, comics, statuettes, toys, it's all there. And their selection is top-notch. You're not going to find a deeper or better selection. Things from Another World also is competitive. They, uh, they are competing with everyone on price, and usually they're the winner. So, big old thumbs up there. If your local comic store just ain't doing it for you, or if you're looking for something special, go to nerdcognito.com, scroll down that page, and click on the Things from Another World banner. You'll see what a real comic store has as far as selection and inventory depth. Great, great place. Uh, Everything that you could imagine. It is really like a digital trip down memory lane to what a comic book store should be, Bert. I definitely recommend... Everyone, click on that link and check it out. Things from another world. A cool name too, by the way. That's a, I mean, that's actually really. It, it kind of takes you into the fantastic when you think about it. Well, you have to because it's fantastic. You know, it's not always fantastic though. What's that? The news. Oh boy, what's in the news this oh, week? Oh my goodness! In the news this week, we've got a bunch of things all up on deck here for you. Uh, we'll start out because we're looking at Alien for our tabletop game. You know, the Alien show is coming. I did not hear that. Tell yeah, me. I was surprised. If you didn't listen to last week's episode, you definitely got to go back in the archive and give it a listen. Bert put together a spectacular, spectacular list of coming attractions, we'll call them. Things to look at that are going to be streaming to your television in the near future. And I think you were focused exclusively on streaming services, and that's why you may not have popped the Alien show in your list. Am I wrong? 
No, I, I, I was sticking primarily to uh, streaming services. You are correct. And the, I, so I take it Alien is a network show? Alien is going to be, at least tentatively, debuting on FX. Oh, okay. And there's been a lot of buzz about it. It's supposed to be a throwback to... Well, first of all, it's on Earth. So, so yeah, it, it's on Earth, and it's really how gonna, are you doing that? Uh, we don't know yet. We don't know yet, but uh, it's going to take a look at some of the nuances of the company and get into the drama. When you say the company, you mean Wayland Industries? I Wayland Utani, sure do, sure do. A, a big push is going to be focusing on the company. Quote. In the movies, we have this Wayland yutani Corporation, which is clearly developing artificial intelligence. But what if there are other companies trying to look at immorality in a different way, with cyborg enhancements or transhuman downloads? So, Alien might be going cyberpunk, Bert. Which oh, that's interesting. It is. Um, but if they take it cyberpunk, then it loses some of that... Because, like, if you think about, like, the original Alien movie, it felt like... Uh, you know, truckers in space. Right. It it was, it was truckers in space. It was the non-glamorous, non-polished, non-Star Trek utopia, right? It's, it's more in line with the expanse. Humans are probably going to be like this when we get to space. So it's interesting if they add like a cyberpunk element, does it take away from that almost kind of blue collar feel that you got from the first movie then? I don't know. Alien, the series, is also set to take place before Ripley, the head of FX, said. Quote, it's the first story in the Alien franchise that will take place on Earth. It takes place on our planet near the end of the century we're currently in, 70 or so years from now. So it's a near-future alien story? Hmm. It won't include Ripley... But it still includes the xenomorphs. And it'll be interesting to see how they do that. Are they going to tie it into, like, some of the, I don't want to say cheesier, but, uh, you know, some of the some of the movies in the franchise that were not masterpieces that did take place on Earth and did have facehuggers and xenomorphs, if you know what I mean. Take, like, Alien versus predator where there were no but in alien versus predator there were xenomorphs in a facility under the ice like are they going to do something like that you know on a tangent i thought that alien versus predator as a premise and with that temple had the potential to be amazing agreed agreed the buildings the building story like that whole predators come of age by hunting xenomorphs is Amazing. That, that should have been the story. Right, right. We should have seen, you know, young predators hunting xenomorphs to sort of earn their adulthood, not what we got. But back to the, the Alien series. No, I never even thought to connect the Alien versus Predator movies into the series, which makes a lot more sense because then there's already xenomorphs on Earth. Right. The trick is, you know, how does the company come across them? Well, through evil, underhanded, horrible, capitalistic re- means, of course. <laughs> uh, there's not a lot more 
detail that was out other than the fact that they have announced we're not going to see it in 2022. We'll be lucky. We'll be waiting a little while. Yeah, we'll be lucky if it hits late 2022, although FX has all but said it won't be in 2022. Big fan of Alien. I, I wish it would be sooner rather than later. But on the other side of that coin, I don't want to see it rushed and done poorly. I'm looking at you, Aliens versus Predator 2. <laughs> do not, yeah, do not want to see a remake of that. Uh, you know, I, I'd be interested to see the first few episodes. Just like, just like you, I'm a big Alien fan, but I'm pretty much an early movie fan, and then the later movies kind of, sort of, balled everything up as far as I'm concerned. What is your favorite frozen dessert prepackaged treat, Bert? Uh, for me, it's always been, you know, I'm a Klondike guy. You are a Klondike guy. Yep. Uh, That's funny. And, you know, we are, I guess, fortunate that we are in the uh, Northwest where Klondikes are pretty much a staple in the grocery stores. Right. They're everywhere. Uh, I understand that it's hard to get a Klondike outside of the region. Really? I didn't know that. And in fact... Because, you know, we're two fat guys that enjoy eating. There was a story that came out this week that talks about the two most sought-after ice cream delicious treats. One is the Klondike Bar. Want to hazard a guess at the second one? Think high school, Bert. Scooter Crunch. Mm, Think designer high school. Oh, Designer high school. Let me think. I mean, we had Scooter Crunch all the way back in elementary school. Snickers ice cream bars. Yeah, you straddled it. The Choco Taco. Ah! You you remember the Choco Taco, right? (laughs) Yeah. uh, You know what's really funny is that's made by the same company that makes Klondike. It is. It is. Uh, Klondikes and Choco Tacos are going to get a little easier to get your hands on for those of you that are well we you know i haven't seen a choco taco in a grocery store in a long time but klondikes are always there for those of you that are elsewhere uh you can start to pick up klondikes nationwide despite supply chain issues new distribution from the klondike company is allowing them to distribute klondikes in all 50 states so, oh, good, because everybody should be able to eat a Klondike. Everybody is going to be able to get their hands on a Klondike. Quick, Ryan, favorite Klondike flavor? Dark chocolate. Oh, you're dark chocolate guy. Okay. Uh, I can't stand milk chocolate. I mean, I'll eat it because fat guy, but <laughs> dark chocolate, 100% all the way. All right. What's yours? For me, it's a Heath bar. Heath bar. See, I don't like the I don't like the Klondike flavors that have bits of shit in the chocolate. So you're not a uh, you're not a crispy guy. Not you're a cr- not a, dislike crispies. And the discontinued flavors that I miss are things like the caramel peanut Klondikes. I remember they had a peanut butter Klondike. I don't know if that still exists or not. Where the shell was peanut butter. But Neapolitan Klondikes. Nah. Strawberry ice cream, yuck. My wife likes the uh, mint ones best. I, I I guess if you enjoy mint chocolate chip, 
then that would be a good thing. I And again, I'm not going to not eat mint chocolate chip ice cream, but it's not going to be my go-to. There are very few flavors of ice cream that I'm not going to eat, Ryan. Here, here. Well, Chaka Tacos are also going to get a little easier to pick up, but in a different capacity. The Klondike Company, in a tandem press release, not only talking about the glory of picking up your Klondike bar, has announced a partnership with Taco Bell. To the sell fan, the dessert at Taco Bell. Yes, the fan-favorite frozen dessert is going to come to a few select Taco Bells in the United States in a pilot program. 20 locations across the country. So buy those fucking Choco Tacos when you're getting your, your Taco Bell so that they pop up everywhere. Right now, it's So what just, you're saying is now we have a reason to go to Taco Bell again. I, I don't snub Taco Bell, but it's not my first choice. And every time I go to Taco Bell, I'm disappointed. I think that's the biggest thing. I'll go to Taco Bell be like, yeah, I'm just psyched up, going to go to Taco Bell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get oh, this sucks. This is Taco Bell. <laughs> right, but if I could get Choco Tacos at Taco Bell, it might increase my likelihood of going. Right, because you I would drive through just for the Choco Taco. Exactly. Although the Choco Taco also has shit in the chocolate. Don't like it. It's the Klondike <laughs> Krispies in the chocolate. The, right. The dip part. Oh, we're such fat guys. We are. Uh, one of these days, we're going to have a food a food version of the Nerdy Podcast. We will. We will. We talked about it last week, but we ran super long last week, so that segment got cut. <laughs> but if you would <laughs> like to, to hear a, a food nerd cognito, a food cognito, now that doesn't have the same... The same panache to it does it food cognito food cognito some uh, sort of like food podcast some sort of food podcast with bert and i let us know nerdcognitopodcast at gmail.com or you can send a message to the nerd cognito facebook but let us know if you're interested in hearing some fat guys talk about food yum <laughs> i mean we can easily tie nerd we are food nerds you know what i mean there are about a thousand topics I can think of that relate to nerds and food. We are. I posted earlier this week, and I excluded it from the news because I didn't think that we could talk about it. But there's a, a new Burger King sandwich that's debuting in Japan that I want right now. The King Yeti. The King Yeti. Four patties, real smoked Gouda cheese. It's like high quality, but it, it's 1,750 yen. So... What, about 15 bucks? That's an expensive mm, burger. Yeah, yeah, 15, 16 bucks. That's an expensive burger. Especially, that's an expensive Burger King burger. So what else is in the news this week? Well, you know, Apple Store employees have long been known for not being very happy with their parent company, but also recognize that even though what they consider are poor working conditions and lack of pay and benefits... In the retail world, they're not as bad off as some of their other retail compadres. Right. But they have been uh, making efforts to unionize. And here's an interesting peek behind the Apple curtain. Apple, as you know, does not fully disclose 
their level of, how can I say this gently? Their level of their ability to look into your stuff on Apple devices. Their privacy oh, yeah. has their privacy policies and statements have always been criticized in the tech world because they are famously, notoriously ambiguous. Well, Apple's retail employees are now all carrying Android phones and using the Android encrypted chat features when discussing their unionization plans. What does that tell you, Bert? Mm, that tells you that Big Brother is listening. Welcome Big Brother to sees a lot more than they've ever admitted. That's a big red flag for me. We're talking the people in the Apple store that work on the device, like Genius Bar people, right? So, yeah, they're retail scrubs. And if you're a retail scrub, please don't take that the wrong way. I was a retail scrub. I, I We've all done our time. They're retail scrubs, but they're skilled retail scrubs. And they at least have a better idea of exactly what's going in and out. It's just scary. It makes me happy to have my Pixel, Bert. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm on Android too, my friend. Lastly is Vampire the Masquerade. Milan will be a digital and physical hybrid board game. Digital and physical? So it's like... Um, I'm thinking Mansions of Madness. Okay. The tabletop role-playing franchise Vampire the Masquerade is getting a board game adaptation featuring an interactive board and app system. The upcoming board game will be compatible with the Terraboo platform, a system that enables players to directly interact with the game board through a companion app. It will include hidden actions that players can complete, and I guess they're going to do this like on their phone or on a device, and then so it'll be secret. And okay. will include opportunities for interactive storytelling inspired by vampires' personal history of the game, right? So it's a platform that that allows for interchangeable boards and components, and it has a companion app, and it, it keeps track of what's supposed to be out. So, very Mansions of Madnessy. Right. I, I mean, the way they describe it, where each player has access to the app on an individual device, it almost reminds me of something like Jackbox Gaming, where like you would be, everybody would be logged in on their phone or whatever, and you would be doing... Games like that, where you, you, it would record like your responses, but everybody else wouldn't necessarily know they were your responses. Right, or sense? if you're doing like a secret action, you can pop it in on your phone, and there you have it. Right. So everything is still in development. There's no release date or retail, but uh, Vampire the Masquerade Milan Uprising. I am curious enough to probably watch it, and it sounds... I mean, I liked, I liked the White Wolf games. I did too. I thought they were really creative. I didn't exactly necessarily like the mechan like them like them better mechanically. You didn't like dots. <laughs> dots. No. Dots. Right. No. No. Dots. I know exactly what you mean. I played enough werewolf and enough <laughs> vampire to know what you mean by oh, I have two dots in that. <laughs> right. No, I I like White Wolf. I thought that the lore behind the White Wolf stuff was was great. I didn't like the dots either, but 
I'll at least keep an eye open for this board game because, as you know, I'm a huge fan of Mansions of Madness. I think that the second edition, and I did not like the first edition, I think that the second edi edition was an absolute home run and it was the right combination of app and board game. And I wish that they would have put some implementation like that into Arkham Horror or Eldritch Horror too, instead of having bajillions of cards. But I'll keep an eye out. And uh, that's the last thing I'm keeping an eye out for, because that, my friend, is the end of our news. Some Finally, a, a news week with some kind of meat to it. Yeah, we had a lot of fluff. And we had Chaco fucking tacos. <laughs> right, right. Which we were, you know, you know, we had our big Klondike discussion, and then we had the fluffy news. No, just kidding. Indeed. Oh, another week of news, Bert. Another week has gone by. Uh, as always, the news did not disappoint. It's always something interesting, isn't it, Ryan? It is. You know what else is interesting? We have a guest this week on Nerd Cognito. Someone's going to, you know... Bring the, the level of the show up from from the bargain basement. That was an email that I got this week, Bert. I got uh, an email, and I'm not going to pull it up now because I, I should have had it in the show notes, but I didn't. But it said that uh, I am the scum in the bottom of the bargain basement at Harrods. So clearly one of our UK listeners, hey, over there, makes makes me smile and feel all fuzzy and warm inside. Well, I mean, the good news is you made it to Harrods, though. Uh, bargain basement at Harrods, I'll take it. But uh, joining us this week on Nerd Cognito, author Denton Sal. Denton, welcome. Hi. Hi, Ryan. Bert. Um, it, it's nice to be here. Man, Harrods, they don't even, I don't even think they let me into the basement there, so I'm impressed. I think they still have elevator attendants, and ironically, a couple of weeks ago, we made a reference to a Harrods elevator attendant. Maybe that's where the angst came from. Ah, I always heard marks myself anyway when I was over there, so. Well, if I had to pick one, mine's fictional, and I pick Grace Brothers, so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Denton has quite the portfolio of work behind him, Bert. I don't know if you had an opportunity to check out some of his stuff or his very prolific list of, of publications. Did you look through any of that before we came to air this week, Bert? I did. I did have a chance to look at that. And, uh, you know, he is quite a prolific author. I am super impressed. Denton, for the benefit of all of those listeners that love sending me the hate mail, why don't you tell us just a little bit about, because you have a very... I don't want to call it a niche, but you have a very defined subgenre in in a, in a genre that I love to read and I can just pour through. So why don't you tell us a little bit just about you in general as an author and, and some of your works. We'll talk about some more specific works later on. And of course, for those of you that are listening, we're going to really talk to Denton about some interesting online times he has had, but we're going to hold on to that just Tell us a little bit about your work. Well, I um, I kind of um, I've written professionally as a um, as a scientist in my day job for years, and uh, a couple of years ago, somebody locally who I knew socially was doing a little course on writing, and I tried that and I played with a couple of things, and um, 
you know, that's some of the earlier stuff on steampunk and romance and mysteries that are out there. But then I started um, just drawing on the old Rus legends that I grew up with from, um, you know, my, my mother's family. The, um, you know, the, the firebird, the, um, you know, the wizards who can change shape and become animals, the, the Ruskala who come out of the water. And, um, you know, right up our alley, on- Bert. Right up our alley, 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Myths and so legends I, I started are our bread and butter. heavily on the um, Slavonic, um, Slavic, uh, Rus, I mean, whatever, Eastern European stories. And my first couple were set as urban fantasy, you know, mostly collections of shorts and then one novel. And then I started this, well, two series, one um, one that's only got one book in it on the Rus in China, because I always wondered what would happen if the Vikings ever ran into China. And you can time stuff, so it's just close to the end of the Tang Dynasty. Um, and if you're going you know, to do something weird like that, you might as well add magic, because reality is pretty constrained. It is. So, <laughs> so I did that one, and then I did the, um, the, the two series that are currently running about um, one, um, basically, um, Eastern European immigrants who brought their um, other world with them to North Texas, because that's where I live, and I dearly love North Texas. And um, the other one, um, just pure fantasy about a boy who um, becomes one of the, um, and depending on how you say it, is with Slavonic language you're speaking. So we're going to try um, a Vokara, oh, that, which I that, believe is. That, that's close. I, uh, I had a 100% Croatian grandfather, and I know they all run ah. together. So. <laughs> yeah, my, my mom. Um, you know, grew up speaking um, at home um, the Ruslan dialect, and um, because her family is really Carpathio Rus, and she, you know, she took um, both. You know, she took Russian in school and got A's in it without having to actually work work at it. You know, and you know, she, you know, it, it, she says, you know, she can understand Polish and Serbian and Bulgarian, and you know, they just sound like accented English to her. So. Right. Uh, um, all I can remember is gutchies. And, and that's it. <laughs> so. All I remember is curse words. Yeah. <laughs> curse, curse words and food. <laughs> food. We're, we're, we're really big on food down here. We're all kind of a little bit on the round side. Well, I, I, I have no comments. I think I speak for all of us in that 20 pounds would not be missed all the way around. <laughs> I think it's fascinating. Bert, this sounds like something you would, if I'm just putting myself into our daily life, right? If you would have finished this book, you would have said, Ryan, you've got to read this. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, you know, urban fantasy is a genre that I'm very interested in, but a lot of times authors will like sort of rely on a cliche or like a well-known myth rather than more, um, historic folklore from a particular region so these sound like they're right within my kind of wheelhouse i was gonna say this this would not be out of place on your kindle absolutely not and 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 you know and they're fun stories and um you're seeing some now um you're seeing some folks um mostly in, in in england 
you know, but who are doing comics based on the old Russian folk stories. And um, you're seeing a little bit, but most of the translations of like the, the things that would be the epic sagas like we get from the Norse are still pretty much either purely accurate academic or in the or in the or in the original languages and um you know there's there's some fun stuff there and um you know in some of the some of the books i've been stealing pieces of um the translations of that poetry in fact the um title of one black earth rising comes from somebody's description of the black earth peeking through the snow in russia in the when, when, when spring happens and how the black earth rises and, but don't ask me the name of the poet. I don't remember it. Um, but um, I, I just love that image. It's tapping into an element that I think mainstream fiction authors don't often draw upon. And that's what makes it so fascinating for me. I can't imagine what would make it a polarizing issue, but you had a little, a, a little tiff, so to speak, with the almighty Amazon. <laughs> I got this email from Amazon, and I think that's we talked about it online. And I get this note that one of my books has been suppressed, and I'm like, suppressed. I mean, that that sounds a little inquisitionist, right? That is a um, big word and a big red flag word too. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I go in, and I'm thinking, and it's it, it's a short story I wrote, and it's called the Speakeasy Train. The idea was that back in Prohibition, you know, a lot of the enforcement was done by the state. So there were actually trains that drove around. There weren't a lot of them, but there were some stories about trains that you could get on and you could go across straight lines and have a drink. And, you know, they, they weren't in one state and they were in another. So they're a little harder to catch. Um, so I wrote this little short horror story about a bunch of kids who go hiking and they find it and they take shelter in it because a storm comes up and it spirals downhill from there. That was just kind of one of the many bad decisions that happened. Now, in my brain, that sounds like a fantastic premise, not even for a short story. That could stretch into a novel. Yeah, it could. I, 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 I was going through a period where in order to try to understand the craft of writing better, I was trying to do a short story a week. That is, that, that is also dedication. I, I tip my hat to you, and I'm going to ask you to talk about your process a little bit later. But um, one of the reasons why I can't publish anything, Bert, I don't have that level of dedication to writing. I just mm -hmm. don't love it the way that you have to I think love it to be a great author but I um, I, I, I managed all 52 weeks but you know some of the stories got a little strange um, and anyway um, so it doesn't end well for the um, the heroine and the, and, and the story but you know it, it's nothing you know we didn't touch on anything we didn't go into politics we didn't go into, um, you know, anything socially going on. There are a couple of other things I had out there where there are all sorts of political observations made by characters. But for some reason, somebody went in and they found something like what they claimed were 13 quality issues. So this is a, a quality issue that's a, a misplaced comma or a typo or... 
Yeah, you know, things like where it said done instead of down. Okay. Um, some of them were misreadings of the sentence. Um, one that really struck me was the heroine comes into the room and meets one of the other guys. And her thing is, my God, he looks like, her thought is, he, she's, you know, he looks like he's given up all hope. Then she says something to him. And whoever this was rewrote the line so the looking like giving up all hope was part of the, the sentence. Very and interesting. It, and it, it, I mean, and it was just weird stuff like that, you know. And I mean, if it had just been the typos, I would have laughed. And you know, but I mean, and then there were typos that weren't there. Typos and that were I not typos. <laughs> well, I mean, well, I, I went back and looked at the um, the manuscript, right? And, you know, and Amazon's really good about this. I'll give them that. They give you locations. They give you page numbers. So you can go back and fix the errors. And I'm looking at it. And my text doesn't match what this guy says. He's guy. I'm saying guy. I'm being a sexist. Um, Here we go. That's all right. Um, We're all pigs here, except for Bert. Bert's (laughs) not a pig. There are no pigs down here, though there might be a boar or two. Um, (laughs) Um, we, um, yeah, so I mean, just strange stuff like that. And apparently Amazon, I don't know if they checked this or not. I don't think they could have because of some of them. Um, but, um, it was like, so basically I could pick a book out there by somebody I can't stand. And there are a couple of people like that. And I could just go in and find typos or things that I think don't read right and report them as quality issues. And if I hit a magic number, Amazon pulls it. I, what it looks like. I think it's scary as content creators across the board. The very knee-jerk reaction that big tech have to so-called issues, and this can, without getting political, this this goes across the board from authors to folks like us that that create audio to video production to even social media. If you have someone that wants to get you, they're going to get you, and at least you had some recourse. I know specifically with audio, we had a battle with Spotify, and I maybe I shouldn't have used their their name, Bert. I don't. No, we just got back on Spotify. We maybe did we after about out. three months. Um, we finally, through no action of our own, like we filed the appeals, they were rejected. And then magically I got an email r- shortly after the Neil Young incident that, hey, we're welcome back on Spotify. So huh. I think it is a lot of power to a perceived victim culture. And, and these people play the victim, but really their goal is to harm people that they may disagree with or that they just don't like. Now you have no idea who this could have been. They don't. They don't tip you off with that, of course. No, they don't. They don't. And you know, and like I said, there were other. Um, I mean, it, 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 if you wanted to pick stuff to disagree with, I have. You know, I, I have some other stuff out there that's. I mean, I just. I mean, it's fantasy, right? But you know, I have some other stuff that you would, I guess, would say would be more possible to be pushing buttons. I have, you know, I set one set of um, mysteries in um, West Texas, 
you know, one of, one of my characters is a native West Texan and he's very true. You live up, if you've ever been out there and, but no, I mean, this was a bunch about a bunch of college kids who, um, who end up walking into places where they shouldn't and getting eaten. I'm trying not to ruin the story. Right. No, absolutely. Uh, because I, I am going to download that. This, this sounds like a great, I mean, we talked about how your writing sort of fits in with our taste. Uh, the second, I guess, time period, if you could call it that, that we really love is that Prohibition era. Well, I, I'll even go back further. I would say like the mid-aughts through probably the 40s. It's just a yeah, fascinating it was, it was, time. Period of time. It's like, you know, there were these periods of time. Um, the steampunk book I did is... Um, set in an alternate world um, in Napoleon's period because everybody always writes about Regency, which was about the same time in England. There was all this cool stuff going on on the continents. You know? So in this book, Napoleon gets rid of Josephine really early because having read a lot of um, his history, I think that was a major problem. Yeah, that, um, very good move. <laughs> yeah. He didn't screw up Russia. And um, you know, part of the reason he doesn't is he, um, and as one of my reviewers says, it's very much like um, Girl Genius. It's very, it's, it's, you know, there's not a lot of um, relationship to reality there. But, um, you know, I mean, they start using um, Zeppelins as war machines. You know, kind of kind of crawls from there. You know, I mean, there are things in that you could have objected to. There were things in a lot of stuff. And uh, the fact... So I, I'm actually not just concerned that, you know, not thinking that maybe this was just somebody who wa wants to be a grammar cop. And anyway, it's back up. But that whole thing was just so weird. I mean, right. I mean, looking at it, they call it a quality issue, but I've seen authors use like misspellings and things like that when they're, um, they're trying to like emphasize a character's lack of education or something like that. So there, there are, times where you might use a, a deliberate misspelling or a turn of phrase in order to drive a point home. And, but I mean, some of these complaints were dialogue too. And it's kind of like, you know, I, I pretty much assume that dialogue can be as ungrammatical as you want it to, because that's how people talk. Right. Depending on their education level, depending on their background, even the vernacular or the area they live in totally changes their speech pattern. Yeah. I had a light bulb go off, and and I think I know part of the story. And, of course, it's me, so I'm not wrong. This is really what happened. I think someone knows the magic number for Amazon, and I'll bet you it's based on page count, which is why they chose a short story. And someone with an axe to grind, for whatever reason... And, you know, we've only been talking maybe a half an hour and a little bit before we went on the air. And I can't find a reason on the surface that I would want to sabotage, you know, someone's content or their living. But I think someone knows the magic number, and I'll bet you it's based on page count, and that's why it was a short story that got pulled. Just, just my thought. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, it's interesting. And I said, you know, if, um, you know, it's those kind of things that, you know, you, you try not to do, but it's kind of like, you know, could you kind of hit 
typical get random and do this and actually, I mean, what triggers it, you know? And I mean, you could probably figure that out. Pick somebody who's, you know, not a really good author because I bet somebody who sells lots and lots of books. But not going name names, but just pick a real popular author and it's probably go- it's probably going to have a higher number there than somebody who's just midlist. Right. There is a, a author that is very prominent, and it's it's an independent author, but he's very prominent in the online science fiction community. And his <laughs> work is riddled, riddled with misspellings and grammar errors. And, like, I... I, I worked with him on a project, on several projects, over the course of three or four years. So he and I, at that time, had a very good, almost friendship, right? It was a working friendship. And <laughs> he sent me his entire catalog. And the one book that I thought I was going to really enjoy, I had to put down because it was in print. I'm holding it in my hands because I'm one of those people that cannot read digitally. It just drives me bonkers. And I'm looking at this and saying, oh my goodness, how can this happen? <laughs> but his stuff has been on Amazon in print and digitally for quite some time. So it definitely, almost assuredly, had to be someone that, specifically was targeting you for whatever reason. Yeah, and I mean, it was it was just strange. Like I said, it was just strange. And I mean, and, you know, quite honestly, I probably wouldn't have even made the comment on Facebook I did if, if they had just said, you know, something other than suppressed. But suppressed is like, you know, meanwhile, well, we've, you know, got, we've got, you know, riots and demonstrations going on and, you know, people getting beaten by the police for, um, you know, being out in public with their truck. You know, it's kind of like, you know, not to bring Canada into this, but, you know. Oh, they, um, they're, they're cold and they like maple syrup and shit. I, come on. Yeah. You know, but I mean, the thing is, you know, I mean, suppressed. It's just, you know, I mean, get this. And I mean, you know, they don't hide it. They, you know, like the minute I logged into, um, you know, the Amazon um, author's portal, there was this, you know, big warning, you know, big message that, yes, you know, one of your books has um, have quality issues, you know, open the book and it's got suppressed across the top in big letters. And it's like, oh my gosh, do I need to look out the front door for the, um, you know, the Spanish Inquisition? I, I was going to say that is, that is very, very pronounced. <laughs> this almost could be an alternate reality start to a novel down the road, which... If it yeah, is, it I be. only want a nickel I, per copy. I've <laughs> thought about that, is, you know. Well, I, I really do think that it is one of those that just can't get over it. And their way to strike out is not to have an intelligent conversation, but it's it's to damage and cancel and i've been on the ugly side of that like and it's it's not fun and the word suppress you know uh, it's 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 up there let's let's yeah. let's talk about something other than the fuck nut that got you suppressed because but if he is listening 
and trying to follow his handiwork. I, I don't want to let him think that, that he's won because the short story is back up on Amazon. Yeah, Amazon was great about it. I mean, you go through the whole thing, you, you know, you, you, you tell them whether or not you think you can even actually tell them, you know, um, I'm not going to fix this. Or, you know, then the next button is why. And because it's dialogue, you, know, you send it in and it all, it all was accepted, you know. So I'm not going to complain about how Amazon handled it. It's just because, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that if, if it was whatever reason it happened, I'm fairly sure that Amazon does not have the bandwidth with the number of books they have to check every single complaint. Right. Um, I was going to say, I wouldn't be surprised if the entire process was 100% automated. Yeah. Well, Bert, what do you think about this cancellation? I mean, I don't know. It, you know, you hear a lot of things about, you know, book bannings and things and, and, uh, it's largely political stuff. So you kind of, this seems more like somebody went out of their way to try to, you know, nitpick an intellectual property off of Amazon, which is kind of a really strange and sort of sad thing. The way I see it, you know, you kind of go in and you're literally going to nitpick somebody's work until Amazon takes it down, which I mean, who has that kind of, that kind of time and who is that like who has that little life that they can pick another person's intellectual property apart like would that? you like me to forward you the email or the emails from my inbox <laughs> oh do you want me to take over email for they, the podcast they I have they have the time and uh, uh enough enough Denton. yeah it always me that people have the time to do this man if i had that much time i could write so much more uh, if there is one piece of work that you would steer our friends towards as their introduction to your body of work, what would you want them to read? And tell us a little bit about that. Well, I, I think probably um, currently it would be the Avatar Wizard, Wizard series, which is basically another world where a young boy develops the distressing tendency to turn into a bear cub randomly. I, I'm glad and, you picked that one because I, I was going to later on ask why, why a bear? Why not a bear? <laughs> Perfect answer. Mr. Brian, are you one of those people who do not support or sign rights? Uh, I do not have any ill will or feelings towards any ursines of any kind. My dear, beloved Chow Chow of many years who has gone to the place where Chow Chows go when they're way too old and can't function anymore. Her name was Ursula because she looked like a bear. So, Yeah, they do. They, um, if you've ever seen real tiny bear cubs, they look distressingly like Chows. Um, <laughs> this boy can morph into a bear. Yeah. Small bear. Bear. Gets him in some trouble, I assume, or he uses that to his advantage. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, for one thing, it kind of upsets his mom when she goes to wake the kids up in the morning, and you know, one of them's a black and white bear cub. <laughs> um, you know, um, and, he, and he turns into a black and white bear panda. Um, 
because pandas are just kind of functionally silly. And his dad basically takes a look at it, and you find out if you read some of the short stories that will be coming out of that, there are reasons why his dad has an idea what's going on. And so they take him to see a wizard, Master Anthony, who is the um, supposedly the greatest wizard in the world. And um, he looks at him and says, yeah, your kid's got the gift for magic. Um, you know, we can either burn it out of him or we can, or, or, he, or he can stay and train. And um, that's where the book takes off from is, um, you know, Jeremy's life, learning to deal with his bear and learning to deal with the wizard. And turns out for most people, your avatar is really kind of part of you. Jeremy's, for some odd reason, seems to have a bit more personality than many. It occasionally argues with him about things, and um, I'm trying not to give away too much. But, you know, we have that, and, you know, Jeremy kind of gets control of his bear, and then as he grows up a little more, he's probably about 11 or 12 in the first book. You know, second book, he turns into, um, meets, you know, that first love of his life, she turns into a Kodiak bear. Um, <laughs> then, then in the third book, um, he's more of an adult, more standing on his own. He's about 16 in that one. And he has some um, adventures that are kind of needed to set up the fourth book, you know, then spend some time with um, the whole problem with the um, salting that we think, talked about. What do you think, Bert? Any unbearable questions that you need to get out? No, I think that it sounds like an interesting series. It, um, there's a few things like, I, you know, learning to control your power. It's, it sounds like it's sort of a coming-of-age story meets sort of like a uh, like a hero's journey story, which can be really interesting. I'm, I'm uh, curious to check it out. Definitely one of the things that you got to check out. Hey, everybody that's listening needs to go to the show notes. We'll have it directly linked. And there's two things that you need to check out from Denton. Give him a shot. See how you like his style. And uh, like I said, his the genre that he has sort of sandwiched all of his stuff in just jives with everything we believe. So it's the Avatar Wizard series by Denton Sal. And of course, of course, of course, of course, if you do nothing else, spend the buck. 99 cents. The Speakeasy Train. Sometimes grandma's stories are true. The short story that someone did not want you to read. Hey, Denton, thank you for stopping by. I, I really appreciate it. Um, thank you for having no, fun. We'll, we'll have to do this again, uh, especially down the road. If you have something that's uh, coming out, feel free to, to reach out to us, nerdcognito.com or nerdcognitopodcast at gmail.com. Hey, thanks, Denton, very much. We appreciate you stopping by. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you, Denton. Yeah, so, Bert, I definitely see you downloading a lot of these books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, the way I read, you know, and, you know, considering that I'm going to have a couple of days off next week, I could use some new books, so... I completely forgot. You will have an opportunity to ch just tear through books next week. Yeah, I'm off Monday and Tuesday. So there you have it. Uh, we'll see if, if you are a new Sal fan. I, I just, I just like his ideas and concepts. And I think that we have a lot philosophically in common, which means that I would probably enjoy his reads too. 
I just like the fact. Now, let me ask you a question. Like he 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 works with Russian folklore and things like that for different things. Do you think that, um, considering that it was originally like an Eastern European, do you think the Witcher, like the advent of the Witcher and things like that, is opening up sort of more of these, you know, fant- fantasy backgrounds or mythological backgrounds when it comes to uh, literature and fiction? It's hard to tell. That was that was my Russian voice, Bert. <laughs> I get it. Thank you, Ivan. No, I, I, I don't know. Because um, I think The Witcher was originally Polish. Right? Yeah, the, the Witcher was, was... Yes, definitely was Eastern European. Um, I want to say Polish, but I'm not sure. I Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think it's an untapped market. Let's put it that way. Agreed. I mean, what do I know about Russian... Fo- what I know about Russian folklore could fit in a thimble, so it'll be interesting to see kind of how he integrates some of those themes, you know? Matroska. That, that was my Russian voice again. <laughs> That's all I got. That's all I got. Again, thank you, Ivan. No. <laughs> oh, no, I... I, I got nothing. <laughs> I'm out. I'm spent. It's been a week. What do you think we call this, Bert? Hmm. I, I think we call it... Uh... Yeah, I think we call it done. I don't know about you, but... Uh... I have given my all for for the Nerd Cognito Nation this week, and I got nothing else to give today. My brain has absorbed everything it can. First, it admitted that it was oatmeal with barrage. Then it went through all of the news, the ups and downs. We talked to an awesome author. I can't think of a more perfect show. (laughs) My name is Ryan David. I was joined by Birch. As always, we thank you for tuning in and listening. Make sure that you go to the podcast subscriber from which you are listening to this, or one of your choice, if you prefer. We're, we're everywhere now, including back on Spotify. And uh, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. And when you're done, share, 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 so that you can give the nerdy goodness to your friends. But other hey, Get the word out, people. Yeah, you know, get that word out. I think we're going to sign off. I'm Ryan David. That was Bert. And we will talk at you next week. See you next time, folks. Nerd!